Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 163 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Hope everybody is doing well. It's also brought to you by Acoustic Disc. Acoustic Disc just put out that brand new Tony Rice unit, beautiful New Year's Eve album, which is recorded live at the Birchmere. It's incredible. Uh, they also have the Acoustic Encounters podcast with Danny Barnes and David Grisman. It's a great one as well. And when you go to Acoustic Disc, be sure to sign up for the newsletter. They send you an email once a week that gives you a free MP3, a treat of the week. Go to Acoustic Disc now and Grace Design. Grace Design makes incredible preamps for the studio and for the stage. There's a good chance if you go to see a band that plugs in acoustically, they're plugged into a Grace Design preamp. Those silver and black preamps grace some of the finest stage in music. So Grace Design preamps. Thanks so much. Hope everybody is doing well out there. It's Friday morning. I just recorded this phone call with Andy Statman last night, actually. Uh, Just super busy guy and uh what a great guy though he was initially on episode number 34 so if you're just catching this for the first time and haven't listened to andy's first episode and if you're not familiar with andy that might be a good place to start but we uh we catch up on a lot of incredible stuff one of the things we talk about is the album he recorded with jake eddie it's an ep it's jake eddie and jake's brother carter If you're not familiar with Jake Eddy, go to Instagram and follow him. He is just an incredible, incredible flat picker. And when I saw him at IBMA, uh, he brought me a copy of the EP, which is only being sold physically, but it is now on Bandcamp. So when we talk about it during the episode, I mentioned it was only physical, but then I messaged Jake to make sure he was cool, that I played a little bit of a track from it, and he said yes, and then he told me it is now available on Bandcamp. So there's links in the description and at Mandolins and Beer as well. Pretty excited here. I'm wrapping this up this morning so I can get ready and pack and head up to Michigan to see the Bela Fleck and Punch Brothers show in Ann Arbor. Really, really excited about that. Hill Auditorium. Uh, If anybody's going to be at the show, let me know. Maybe we can uh, say hey to each other real quick. It should be incredible, though. Just Sierra and Chris Thiele at the the same show. It's a, a lot of mandolin talent, and I'm looking forward to every second of it. So that'll be great. Speaking of great, let's talk about some of the great people who support this podcast, Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Who, you ask? Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, Ian Curry, Brazilian Choro, Jazz, Beginner, Active Mandolin, you cannot go wrong. The courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Best part? Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And also don't forget to check them out on the Instagram. Ear Trumpet Labs. Ear Trumpet Labs hand-built microphones from Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com. Today, Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built 
in Austin, Texas. Actually, there's a beauty at Elderly Instruments, which is also in Michigan, which if, if I'm lucky, I can try to figure a way to swing by there. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new used and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Now in their 50th year, they're family owned and operated. They ship worldwide and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. And my buddy Roger Simonoff still offering that great discount through December 31st of 2022, the straight up strings and Simonoff books. Again, the books. Go to the best luthiers in the world that are building these mandolins. Odds are that Roger's book is on their bookshelf. Also, straight up strings. Tristan Scroggins, C.J. Lewandowski, Wyatt Ellis, they trust their mandolins to be strung up by straight up strings because they want to hear every note of every chord. Go to straightupstrings.com and use the promo code, all one word, all caps, MANDOBEER, and get yourself 10% off, and that includes the packs of strings. So straightupstrings.com. Thank you so much to all my sponsors. Thank you so much to everybody who listens. If you're going to be at the show tonight, shoot me a message on the Instagram or Facebook or via email, danielpatrickmusic at yahoo.com. Let me know. Cheers, everybody. Have yourselves a great week. All right, and now I am happy to welcome back to the podcast, Andy Statman. Andy, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for doing it, and thank you. It's been a uh, it's been a wonderful game of phone tag via text messages. You are super busy, and um, one of the really cool things you just did you were in Chicago with Itzhak Perlman. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Always fun to play with Itzhak. It's uh, you know we've been doing this thing for gosh since the mid 90s Yeah, and I did record, you know, two records and, you know, we're doing, um, you know, we'll be doing some more, you know, so it's, it's just great because when I play with him, I mean, I play 75% mandolin, you know, it, it depends, how, you know, what's going on, but basically we're doing tunes that I wrote and uh, improvising on them. So there's a lot of trading back and forth and he's, He's an amazing player, and, and he's a great improviser, and it's just a lot of fun. That's great. Now, is that rare to have somebody of his stature in classical music be such an improviser? Um, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, there are some people who, um, you know, came up with some sort of classical training and went into jazz, and then, you know, would also continue to pursue um, uh, you know, classical liner Winton Rosales was was a you know a really fine classical player, 
you know, as, as well as being an amazing jazz player. And, um, uh, you know, always, there's always been, you know, individuals who were drawn to both styles, you know, you know, cer- you know certainly going through that type of, of uh, technical training and musical training of, of a classical musician um, can be very helpful, you know, as, as long as it, you know, allows you to have other influences happening <laughs> outside <laughs> that music, you know. I remember, I remember there's a time when I, you know, when I did some symphonic work and did some work with, um, uh, you know, classical, classical guitarists and, um, you know, other, other things. And they were always talking about how, uh, you know, the classical music schools ruined musicians or many musicians. And, uh, you know, um, actually that's something that, that, um, Itzhak is, is working to try and, change around you know he has music aside from performing he has music schools all over the world that um you know that he teaches at and has a particular type of uh, emphasis on developing the whole per- person rather than just the uh you know everything sacrificed for the sake of the music you know including your your uh, sanity <laughs> emotional <laughs> development right. you know right and your individualism it seems like in and, some things yeah 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 well, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, that can be, I mean, listen, it's, it's like in any music, the, the, the people who are towering figures are so great that, you know, everyone wants to sort of try and, you know, that sort of attracted you to the music. So you want to sort of sound like them and, uh, you know, um, you know, everyone wanted to sound like Louis Armstrong or Bird or like Coltrane, you know, or Sonny Rollins or, you know, people, um, you know, and you have Yasha Heifetz is, is, is one, you know, particularly the violin, you know, classical violinist, was such a pervasive, amazing, you know, musician figure for, for um, people who were uh, playing that music. You know, Isaac was telling that he had a student and he was saying, listen, don't try and sound any more like, like Heifetz, you know, you know, you're getting in that direction, but sound like yourself. Think of it in a, in a, in a, Understand how to use that tone to bring out your own sound, speak your own language through through what he did. So, so it's it's interesting, you know. It's um, the, the you know prodigies or just you know the the music business can can really mess up a lot of people. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, I I asked that because I I remember seeing I think it was when it was Goat Rodeo. I think it was like a documentary that came with one of their albums or with the DVD. And I remember Thiele saying something about all the parts for Yo-Yo Ma actually had to be written out because he doesn't improvise. He just, but you know, there's a guy who though, though, you know, and I don't, I'm not sure he doesn't ever improvise, but there's a guy who's got his own tone and sound, you know, even regardless of, of, you know, reading off the page or whatever. Right. Well, you know, uh, it's like a sort of fearless. Um, he, I mean, he's so musical. Primarily, we're playing classical music, but my the tunes that I wrote also can go to some different places. You know, he just lets me improvise freely. So, um, you know, and he does it freely. So, you know, and, and the truth is he's, he's a big fan of all sorts of uh, American culture. He knows all the, you know, the early... All the old rock and roll music going back, you know, to the mid '50s and on. He just he just knows the words and the tunes and the, you know, he knows all the the uh, you know the old time comedians. You know, he knows all the routines. I mean, he's yeah, he's pre- he's pretty amazing uh, amazing person. That's great. How did you how did you guys meet? 
Let me see. I think he was interested in, in doing a, um, it's called him the Fiddler's House, and he wanted to have a, um, you know, like I guess the play with the, the, the really, you know, prominent klezmer bands back then. And so we had at one time, we had four bands traveling with him. And over the years, it just got, got broken down to about, you know, nine musicians or whatever, you know, with the main people from the, all, you know, all the different ensembles. It's just a lot of fun. It's great to see all these people who, are, who you know, particularly haven't done this since COVID. So it's great to see everybody and great to see Itzhak. And, and uh, just the music is just really, really amazing. It's something. It's, it's I think got a, got a really great review in a newspaper in Chicago. Oh, I bet. Yeah. It, man, you've been, you've had a crazy year uh, this past year. Uh, you know, and one thing might even have been before this past year, but the one thing I couldn't believe is that until this past year, you had never played the Grand Ole Opry. No, I, I you know, I, you know, I figured that, um, you know, how would I get on there? I, I doubted whether they ever, you know, the people who wanted ever heard of me. And I just figured it would be uh, something that was, I'd love to do, but wasn't going to happen. But when I started working with uh, Jake Eddy, he had been on the Opry at this point twice playing with Becky Buller. He said, you know, we'd played in between that time. And he said, you should be on the Opry. And he mentioned them and they said, sure. And he got a call, you know, a day or two later. Said, you know, when can you come down? So that was it. <laughs> wow, man. And you're going to be playing there again. This is This episode is going to come out on the 16th, which is... We're talking Thursday night here, um, so it'll be coming out tomorrow, Friday. So when is it you're going to be at the Opry again here? Yeah, this coming um, Tuesday on the eight on the eighteenth, I believe, and I think we're on at seven forty. Fantastic! Yeah, it's fun. It's it's it's, it's an it's an amazing thing to do. You know, they're they're a wonderful organization, and they really take their own history and heritage very seriously and preserve it and. Uh, it's 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 really amazing, really, really amazing. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. That's that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. How did you meet Jake Eddy? Jake Eddy, uh, he's been blowing some minds on the internet on Instagram here with his with his playing, and it it really kind of only makes sense that you two would end up jamming together um, because you guys are both so incredible. How did you guys meet? He uh, reached out to me via email. You know, said he was doing this, this almost a year ago uh, some recording. This would this be in this uh, previous, maybe January or February of 2022. And I asked if I'd be on the record. I said, sure. You know, and uh, we sort of hit it off. And, you know, he's driving me back from the studio. And, and uh, we spoke about doing some gigs and things like that. And, you know, so we've done some touring. Hope to do more. You know, we're in the process of uh, working on a... Uh, on a, on a CD together, you know, with um, you know him and his brother Carter, who's equally amazing, and myself. I guess we're going to finish that off sometime, uh, you know, in the new year, early new year. Oh, great! I have a copy of the Nor'easter of that recording. I saw Jake at IBMA and met him in person. And I was like, man, you have got to. Uh, this is not available online anywhere. I'm like, there, you got to have a copy of that. I got to hear this. And he uh, went back to the hotel room, him and his brother, and came back with one a little bit later. And uh, it's, it's you and Jake and Carter and Ned Lubarecki. And it is. It's amazing.
it sounded like it was a pretty loose. It there was was there not a lot of pre-production with the. No, uh, we, we had rehearsed a few songs the night before, or just basically ran through them. You know, one of them we sort of changed around a lot, and uh, and other than that, it was just no overdubbing, no splicing, just you know whatever whatever take seemed to have it, which is what you know we went with. So the whole thing was recorded in a few hours. He's got in here uh, in his notes. He uh, it's the the notes are tiny. I can barely read them, but it it, it says <laughs> that there is the uh, it, your knucklehead Smith tuning is on the green machine is it okay to ask what that tuning is uh, you know that, that's that's a name i came up back when i worked with breakfast special for um tuning the mandolin to different they're just spontaneous tunings that come up that 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 sound right and actually allow for a certain type of um expressiveness get out of here really yeah <laughs> that's great so it could be it could be anything it's not just one particular tuning you just kind of no, 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 no. I, ju- I just come up with something that I think will, will work and will allow me to uh, open up things and explore certain ideas. Tunings can be very expressive. You know, you get the right tuning and be very expressive and allow you to really go in a lot of different directions and, and get a lot of different sounds and, um, and textures. But, you know, you have to be bold with it. You can't, uh, you know, you can't walk on eggs. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I mean, that... Yeah, and, and generally in playing, you can't, you shouldn't walk on edge. You should really be, just go for it. I think bold is a good word to describe your playing, and I, I, I love it, man. You know, it's uh, so many players actually. I would just interviewed Andy Leftwich um, a few weeks. Yeah, Andy's back. a monster. He's great. And you are one of his, uh, one of his people. He really likes to listen to. I asked him who he likes to listen to when he's looking for inspiration. He's like, "Have you ever heard of Andy Statman?" I'm like, "Man, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking to him again." So yeah, he had some some high praise for you. And you know, yeah, you're just your bold and fearless playing is kind of like your your trademark. Well, you know, it's it's that's just where I play. <laughs> you know, but yeah, so I, you know, I, I like to have, I like to enjoy myself and have you know a good time with it, and hopefully go to some deep places and some interesting places, and uh, you know whether it's um, something you know inside or outside, it really depends what's what's happening at the moment. You know, you never really you never really know, even if you're playing a set piece, you really never know how you're going to play it, and um, Everything is ultimately in the moment. You, you never really know how it's going to, uh, what's going to happen with it. So you have to be open to, um, to different things uh, happening with it. Were you familiar with Jake's playing before him emailing you? No, I, no, I hadn't heard of him. No, I hadn't, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been listening a lot to bluegrass, you know, at that point. And, uh, if I actually, truth is actually, when I listen to Bluegrass, I mainly just listen to, you know, like Bill Monroe and Stanley Brothers and, you know, Jimmy Martin and Reno and Smiley and Mac Wiseman, Jim and Jesse, of course. You know, you know, groups like that of, of that time period, maybe some a little bit later. That's that's really, uh, I think that was a really special time in the music. And um, with those guys who were able to, capture back then was just so amazing i mean they developed their own techniques they had um the, the, the music was just so expressive and so um so soulful you know everyone had their own sound you know you, you, you could tell by listening 
you know, either by singing or playing, you know, who was playing what. You know, it was, it was just, just a great time, really, really, really great time in, uh, in, in music. You know, I think it, 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 it provided that strong foundation for the, uh, you know, music to uh, continue. I think I've really, I've been listening to a lot of, you mentioned Sonny Rollins a few minutes ago, and I'd been doing like a deep dive on Sonny Rollins a few weeks ago. And listen to some of those older jazz recordings of it's just kind of raw and, and you know, kind of like looking for its, you know, just searching, like the songs are, you know, willing to take any path, almost almost like water in a leak, you know, you might not, where a leak might drop on your head, it might not be where the water's coming from. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of how that music was. It could go anywhere at any moment. Yeah, I'm mean, that you know that I mean, that's amazing. I mean, you listen to some of the um, the live recordings of Coltrane, and you can hear he's he's uh, he's working with certain types of ideas for maybe you know the first you know minute or two, and and then he he's not that's not really bearing fruit for him, and he just abandons it and goes on to something else. You know, it's it's um, uh, in in certain types of jazz, you have a lot of room to be able to um, explore and, and, and develop what you're doing. It's very elastic and breathes in a certain way. In bluegrass, you know, a lot of the, you know, the, um, the solos you might take are, um, you know, they're sort of what we used to call get it on solos, where you have, you know, a certain amount of bars just to really make a statement and, and, and you know, further the music along. And that's just a whole other art. That's a whole other... Uh, other style, like, you know, like a hot guitar break or a saxophone break or, you know, you play a tennis saxophone, a lot of rock and roll bands and R&B bands, funk bands and stuff. And that's, those are the type of solos you had to play. And, and coming up with bluegrass, that's what you had to play also. It's, um, you know, there's a certain craft to that, certain art to it also, but it's not, um, it doesn't give you these, they're both great. You know, one is you, you make a statement you know, concisely and quickly, and and that's great. <clears throat> and in the other, you know, you have time to really develop ideas and, and different feelings. And it's, uh, you know, they require a little bit of different skill sets. Yeah, that's what I always found interesting, Those like those old bluegrass recordings that really sound like, um, you know, really raw. And it's, that's the cool thing about it is, like you said, you have a, a, a finite amount of time to say what it is you want to say and try to make a statement and, like you said, further the song along, which I find really interesting because, you know, some of that stuff, it's just every now and again, you'll just listen to some people like, wow, <laughs> what a take, you know? Yeah, I mean, some of the people plan their solos out in advance, but even if you plan something in advance, each time you play it, it's going to be different. Some just had, you know, sketches of ideas and, and, and worked around it. Some, you know, probably just improvised. You know, it's, it's um, in bluegrass, you want something that somewhat relates to the melody. Um, it, 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 but it, it doesn't have to, but that's a general, you know, the general um, approach. But, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't have to be. You know, it, it really depends on what's happening around you and, you know, the situation you're in. It's, it's like anything, you know, you, you try and play with the other musicians who you're with and play something that will, you know, everyone will enjoy and will, you know, further the music. You, um, you spoke of Berkeley as well. What are you going to be um, doing up in Berkeley? Well, Berkeley, um, we're, we're, I think we're playing a place on, a, on Sunday. We'll, we'll be at Berkeley on, um, 
I'll be at Berkeley on the 27th and 28th of February. I know at, on the evening of the 28th, we're doing a, um, Joe Walsh has a, um, like a mandolin thing happening there. So we'll, you know, me and the trio will be playing there. Uh, we're playing at Passim's the night before, and we're playing at the Parlor Room in Northampton on that Sunday. But I think b- during both days, you know, we'll be, um, we'll be teaching. So, um, you know, Mac Glazer, who runs a program, you know, wants me to teach, you know, individually the mandolin students. And I probably have some, um, you know, people who sit in classical music, you know, so I'll have my clarinet, you know, and be teaching some of that stuff as well. So it's, it was part of the tour that worked out, you know. So we'll be at Berkeley for those two days. But, yeah, so that's, that's um, you know, this, this the, uh, the, the trio that I have, you know, with uh, – Jim Whitney on bass and Larry Dill on drums and percussion. And we've been working together more for, you know, 20 years or more. So um, the communication between all of us is just something, um, you know, pretty amazing. You don't like have a, a, you know, bands that usually stay together that long with the same personnel on a moment's notice or with a glance of the eye, we can completely change direction or, you know, where you know it's 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 great it's 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 a really um you know i think people really enjoy just in the communication between the three of us it's uh you know we've been doing this so long together that's impressive just the uh the amount of time keeping the same the same members in a band that's great yeah 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 it's been you know we've uh you know played all over the world you know as a trio and we you know it's, uh, you know, COVID took a little bit of, uh, we took a little bit of a hit in terms of, as, you know, how much work we had. But um, all in all, you know, it's, it's we're working now and it's, uh, you know, it's great. It's really great to play with these guys. On the Opry, I'm going to be playing, you know, again with, uh, with Jake and Carter, Eddie, and I'm looking forward to seeing them. I think we might be doing something on the Monday night prior that on some streaming thing on uh but I, you know, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I think we might be doing something like that. I know there's a, a place in um, just outside of Nashville called D's Lounge that um, the, a band called East Nashgrass streams out of there. Uh, Dominic Leslie, it's kind of like a like a venue, but they have like a live streaming thing. And if that's the case, yeah, that'd be awesome. That's a cool place. I don't know if it's that. I think it might be in a studio. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I think, I don't know if David Greer worked out of there or something like that, or. Oh yeah. I did a live stream there during COVID. Um, it's yeah. I think, uh, Robert Smith's place, I think is his name. So, uh, that might be it. We're going to, yeah, I think that is it in fact. Yeah. Yeah. And we, he's good. We, um, you know, Jake knows him and I, we're going to play there over the summer when we play the Opry, but, um, his air conditioning was out <laughs> and it was, it was in the hundreds. Yeah, so we, we uh, he, he didn't, you know, none of us really were, you know, so, but, uh, but I, so I believe we'll be doing that. You know, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I, I think so. And um, other than that, you know, that's, yeah, so, anyway, so that, that my national trip this time is, you know, just very quick, you know, basically we only to do the Opry and, and then I suppose, you know, I'll be seeing the Eddie sometime in, uh, in the winter to finish off this record that we're doing. We'll be doing some more touring, I guess, once, once the record is going to be coming out. This record I did in Nashville is, is finally coming out. Is the one, I think it's actually one of the last records that Byron Berline 
you know, recorded. Yeah, I was just going to add, that's on my notes to ask you about that. Yeah, COVID and everything held up everything, but it's uh, it's a record of, you know, some Monroe tunes and a lot of uh, original tunes, and it has, um, you know, Byron on it and, and Ron Stewart playing uh, banjo and uh, twin fiddle with Byron, Brian Sutton and Mike Bubb and myself, and, and Ricky Skaggs is on a number of cuts also, playing some twin mandolin. Incredible lineup. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. We had a great time. We had a, had a really, really great time doing that. Do you have a date on when that's coming out? I think the cover is ready. Um, I think it's going to be called Bluegrass Tracks because there's a, an amazing picture of, um, you know, I grew up in, in, in Queens, an area called Jackson High School, down the block from the elevated subway. So it's a, it's a really funky picture of a, of the of the subway and some of the uh, I don't know how you describe describe it just it's a, it's a, it's a real New York City type of picture and I figured I just call it bluegrass tracks I don't you know <laughs> what else to call it but um uh you know it's a bluegrass record ostensibly and um you know everyone plays great and and you know particularly Byron I mean I think he was reaching a, a whole other level than his playing. You know, I think his style was changing, and he, it's, it was just really, uh, it's really so amazing to, you know, to hear what he played. He also was an amazing person with an amazing memory. So, uh, you know, but anyway, yeah, so that'll be coming out. Is that going to be an uh, independent release? Or are you going to put that out yourself, or is it going to be on a label? That's on a label that I, that I record for called Sheffa, S-H-E-F-A, Sheffa Records. And that's, that's a guy named Edward Hager who puts it out. And I've done, uh, you know, you know, four or five uh, records for them, you know, you know, as well, I should say, CDs. Although this, this new one might, be, might come out as a, um, I think, a, a, on vinyl. And, uh, you know, it's, it's um, I know we might make it a double thing with, with um, you know, Hits from the Andy Statman trio, from the various CDs we've done, and uh, you know this 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 new one, Bluegrass Tracks. So that so there as well as CD, it'll it'll probably be out on vinyl at some point. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I guess a lot of people are preferring vinyl these days. Yeah, I you know I mean I know it's super popular, but even at I was at uh, that festival in Vermont, and. It was really amazing to see how many like people walking around with vinyl, you know, at a festival. <laughs> you know, is funny. Yeah. yeah, but it's great to see. It's great to see people supporting artists. You know, and yeah, it's great. It's really great. And then uh, one of the other big reasons why I wanted to uh, interview you too is talk to you about you got a new instrument. Well, a new old. <laughs> yes, a new old instrument. Yeah, I'd love to hear the story about how you got your lore. Well. I mean, ultimately, I, I, um, I was um, finally in a position where I was able to, um, to buy one. I called up a, a you know, do you know who Larry Wexer is? Yeah, I know the name. I, I've, never, I've never met him, but I know the name. So he deals in, in really fine, high, you know, high-end, um, you know, guitars and banjos and mandolins and things like that. And he's, um, so we're old friends. And I asked him if he had any F5s and he had two there. Uh, you know, it was at a time when um, I think the F5s had reached their 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 lowest point in in many many years in terms of of uh, price value. 
people weren't buying them. You know, this is when the economy was still good, but people weren't buying them because there were there were so many, you know, I guess wonderful, um, you know, boutique um, mandolin makers that for a somewhat more reasonable amount of money, you, you could get an amazing sounding instrument, you know, and a, and a wonderful playing instrument. But anyway, so I went over to his house and I tried two of them. You know, I, I realized that the, at least from my perception of it is, so the F5 is really a very different instrument from, from other mandolins. They're almost in a category of their own, you know, the good ones. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to describe them. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Sure. So there's one that I really liked. Um, I spoke with David, David Grisman, and David had, had, he never thought about selling any of his. He has a bunch, and he sent out one, um, sent me one to try, and, you know, and the latter old friends, so they discussed no pressure, whichever one you, you like best, that's the way to go. It was, it was a, you know, it was a really wonderful situation. And the one I liked was the one, one of the ones that Larry had. The others were great also, but this is the one that really sort of um, did it for me. Um, it, it actually happened to be, um, belonged to Eric Weisberg. And Eric Weisberg, you know, was, was an incredible studio musician, toured with his own bands and toured with a lot of other people. And um, he, uh, the mandolin was sort of like his fourth or fifth instrument, you know, his violin, pedal steel, banjo, of course, guitar, then mandolin. So when he bought it from a woman in New Jersey many years ago. And, he, you know, it, it, it was, he never played it. And, and the, the woman he bought it from, it was hardly played. So, so anyway, so he put it on consignment with, with uh, Larry Wexer, and Larry sold it to someone in Silicon Valley oh. <laughs> who, who then never played it and gave it back to Larry to sell. And, and uh, Larry had it just lying around for years. <laughs> no one was buying F5s at this, at, you know, like it's, it's uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, it's, it's, I was able to get this, this, um, you know, this instrument from actually, you know, one of the earliest and, and, and most established, you know, bluegrass musicians to come out of New York city, you know, um, and, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, I had, uh, Lynn Dudenbossel do some work on it and, and, um, Tom Crandall here in New York. And it's, uh, it's really sounding incredible. Wow. That's, uh. That's just amazing. And again, of all of all the people who who should own Lores, you know, I think you, especially with your 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 love of Bill Monroe, you know, and the the amount of time you put into learning all that Bill Monroe stuff, of, of all the people I could think of who who should own a Lore, you you're at the top of the list. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's it's just a great mandolin. Like I say, they're sort of almost in their they're they're almost their own sort of animal. Have a certain certain thing happening that you know I find other mandolins don't have quite the same thing. That's not to say that they're you know they just for what for what I'm looking for it it really it really does it and uh, you know it's great to play and um, you know I mean people own many F5s because each of them sound different but the one thing they have in common is this this there's a certain I don't know how to put it in words quality of of tone production and playability that um that that they have um so uh you know i i feel very fortunate to have it you know it's a whole learning experience and each mandolin is, is its own is its own thing 
And, uh, you know, I've had some really great mandolins, you know, I've had, um, you, know, and, you know, I still have an Elias and a Sorensen and, um, and I've had a few Kimballs and they're all great mandolins, you know, so, um, you know, fantastic. So you can't, you know, but anyway, I was lucky to be able to get this, this, this just really clicked for me. It was at the right time. And, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I have it, you know. I'm playing in a sort of basically a straight ahead bluegrass band. And, and for that, it's absolutely, it's incredible. It, it works great with the trio. You know, the trio gets pretty far out sometimes and uh, that's with the drums and everything like that. And it, it works in all situations. It's just a great, a great, great instrument. And the truth is, is that with any instrument, you know, who, who you know, whoever plays it is going to sound like, um, like they sound, you know, if, um, you know, if, if uh, Jesse played it, it'd sound like Jesse. If, if if you played it, it'd sound like you. If you know whoever, you know people have their own, you know people have their own sound. You know their own right hand, their their whole aesthetic and 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 you know their touch. That that they'll sound the same way on almost any mandolin. You know. If you know what I mean. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is like you know, I, I got I had the good opportunity to um to strum on Haas, you know, Sam Bush's mandolin a little while back. We opened my band open for him and I definitely did not sound like Sam Bush <laughs> playing that mandolin. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know. But you know, you know, there's that story that that um I think it's with Chet Atkins uh someone said to him, you know, he's playing expensive guitars. He says, that that guitar really sounds good the search shark head and said here, here you make it sound good you know it's 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 really the 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 uh person who plays it who really you know gets the sound out of it and and understands how to work with it and the thing is for certain musicians certain instruments are um you know really work for what they're trying to do at that point in their life you know i mean the thing is is that you know just as instruments change you change so what might be good for you at one point in your life may not be the thing you know for you at a different point in your life so it's it's um that doesn't mean that you don't like what you're using prior it just means that you're you're you need something a little bit different you're developing in a slightly different way that maybe a different approach um would uh would help when you had both of those lures sitting there, is it? This is probably tough to describe, but you know, well, it was actually three. Was yeah, it yeah. really three? Oh, that's right, three. Yeah. 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 So you have these three. You have these three lures. What was it about the one that you connected most with that the one you know that you now own? It was a um, a projection that it had, and and a a beauty of tone and a playability. But it was I could really. I could really feel the the wind pushing the sound out, and um, it, it it just had you know has a beautiful tone. It it just sort of sung you know I it clicked with me more than the other two. The other two were also great, but this just really clicked with me. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So now I'm, now I'm trying to deal with different uh flat picks and things like that so. <laughs> yeah what kind of what kind are you using currently well you know basically i mean i always you know wind up using um going back to tortoiseshell you know reconstituted tortoiseshell 
I mean, I, I used to use uh, Fender Extra Heavies, and then I used for a long time they're called Red Bear. Oh yeah. But you know, I have I have a whole thing of different picks, which I constantly, you know, if I'm playing somewhere and I'm sitting down, I just put a few picks in my in my pocket or a few picks on a on a little table <laughs> yeah. next next to where I am, and I just see what happens. You know, it's um. Each pick will have a different sound and a, and a, and a different uh, different touch to it. And um, you know, like even if you have um, uh, you know mass-produced picks, no two Fender flat picks are the same. Even if they're the you know the same batch, you know, that's made at the same time. Each one is an individual. You know, it's uh, it's an amazing thing, really amazing thing. It's wild the the whole mass production thing. I I used to play drums, and one of the big things, one of the coolest things I ever learned as a drummer was um, when I went to a music store, and the guy's like, "What do you need?" I'm like, "Oh, just some drumsticks." And he's like, "All right, come on back." And he's like, "You're just gonna buy them like that?" I'm like, well, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Roll them across the counter, man." He's like, "If they flop, you just switch them out." And I'm like, "What?" I thought they're just all the same. He's like, "No," <laughs> you just roll them across the counter, and if they all rolled good, you would buy those drumsticks. But every now and again, you get one to be like a wobbly cue stick at a wow. Pool. Yeah, I know. I never knew that. Yeah. you know. And like if you're buying, I, I many years ago I bought a new a new Selma tennis sax tennis saxophone, great saxophone, and um, there were about ten of them in the store. So I decided on one, and then um, what what you know the guy I was studying with told me to do says okay, take the necks from each of them, you know the the, the the saxophone neck and try each different saxophone neck. You know they're interchangeable; they're the same model. And each one sounded different. So I wound up getting, um, taking the one that I liked. So <laughs> it's wild, man. But, you know, but with me, it's, you know, three mandolins is really all I can um, handle when I'm looking to, you know, to, to possibly buy something. Because otherwise, it's just each time you pick up a new mandolin, if they're good mandolins, immediately you'll be enchanted because each mandolin will have something that the mandolin you're currently playing doesn't have. It'll have maybe a different, different, a different type of tone. Might be more playable in some parts of the neck than others, and and it'll you'll be charmed by it. But um, you know, it's you can't really act on that. You know, I mean that 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 might be an indication you should buy it. But I see that you really need to be cautious. With that, and I think um, you know, I had three really good F5s to, to choose from, and uh, you know, more than that would have been um, it just would have been too much for me. <laughs> yeah, how long did it take you to make the decision? Like, how long did you have them? Well, when I tried, tried the first two, um, I knew which one I liked better, and um, when I, you know, when I, when I, when I got the third from David, I tried that and I thought I liked that better. And then I brought it down to Larry and we tried all three and, um, I was pretty, you know, within, you know, half hour, whatever, I pretty much was, was sure that, uh, the, you know, the one I bought was, was really best for me. So, um, that's great. I, I was really very, very lucky, very, you know, very blessed and very, um, you know, it was, uh, the, the road was very smooth for me. 
That's great. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And the whole thing happened in, in a few days. It just clicked. <laughs> That's so cool, man. It just really clicked. And uh, I'm having a ball playing it. It's really, uh, you know, really, really great. I mean, I just, I need some a little bit of downtime to be able to really, you know, get into it in, in, in the way I really want to. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be busy. So... What kind of strings do you put on it? Do, do you still use the same strings that you used before? Or did you find different? Did you have to try a bunch of different strings as well? No, no, I'm, I'm using the same the same strings. Um, the um, you know I became a uh, in, 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 uh, Dorsey for the uh, you know for the Adario. So you know I'm using the, the um, what is it the XSM eleven forty, and um, you know they have uh, some. You know something new that I haven't tried. Yeah, excess. Yeah, excess. Uh, I was skeptical about trying them because I never liked coated strings. But um, a friend of mine, uh, Adam Brown, um, bought them and and told me they're they're incredible and, and they don't have the feel of coated coated strings. And uh, you know, I tried them and they're great. You know, and I uh, I know they have. I have to. Try out. They have, I think, a flat pick. I think that that maybe Christie endorses or something like that. I have, and I have to get a, get one of those and try that. See how, how that is. Yeah, I'm looking at one uh, right now. I've got one. They're they're really nice, man. And you know what's really nice about them is I saw a video of him not too long ago playing, and he's he's actually using it. You know, it's, it's been around for a, a few minutes here now, and so you know it could be like you know we are as mandolin players bouncing between picks, but he still uses it. And I'm like, there you go. That's a pretty good endorsement right there. <laughs> you know, if, if I found a good you know, flat pick, I, that's just basically what I play. Um, you know, when I'm bouncing around, it means I haven't found one that I really, um, you know, that I, that I really, I mean, I, I have a bunch that I like, but none of them are like, you know, um, those Gary Wagner picks I used to get. I used to, you know, they, <laughs> right, they, just, right. they just really, you know, this is the same thing with, uh, um, you know, for woodwind players, they go through the same thing with weeds, you know, getting, good reads is is really um it's really difficult it's like a flat pick you know everyone goes you know flat picks are always uh for some of us i guess for blue monroe or you know it wasn't such a problem i think someone like um bobby asmon tried a million different things for uh <laughs> you know um but, you know i once spoke to him about it and he i had heard that you know he, he was the one who i think developed the rounded pick and I think what he did was he, I was told he used to take a quarter and tape it to a poker chip, you know, and, and uh, file it down. And then you have like a round. Oh, uh, wow. You know, I asked him about it. He didn't remember doing that. But um, I think it was he came up with a rounded pick. I usually like to, I, um, you know, I mean, Bobby, you know, had a huge influence on me as as well, you know, and Jesse. But, you know, I usually like the point of a pick. I find that I can get a lot of different tones using the point of the pick, you know, rather than the rounded edge, you know. Um, but some people prefer the rounded edge and and, and it works really, really, um, you know, well for them. I mean, everyone everyone is different. So it's it's whatever, you know, works uh best for you does does this does this pick have that you're talking about, does it have a bevel to it or or is it pretty it does much have a bevel let me grab here real quick 
Yes, it does have a bevel. It's not too extreme, but there is definitely a bevel. I would probably work with that, yeah. I mean, generally, I like picks that, that are basically, you know, old school, non-beveled, you know. <laughs> you know yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's, the, you know, I'm coming, you know, from, uh, you know, old school. So uh, that's that's basically, um, you know, what I use. But it's... Um, it's interesting. Like when I when I when I teach students, I, I teach them that they really should use their they should play from their wrist, not not from their um, their uh, elbow or uh, you know shoulder that much. And uh, but you know, I mean, I've seen people who are you know virtuosos who play you know with their with their um, with their elbow. So it's it's really whatever. Everyone has a different physiology, and everyone hears things differently, and it's. There's no, there's no one general rule. It's it's really just about the individual and, and what works best for them. I'll tell you something that's really interesting. In in the clarinet world, it's um, there are a number of different approaches to playing it, and for a lot of these pedagogues, you know, the, the great players and who are who are professors, it's it's their way or the highway. So there was. Um, a few years ago, one um, I forgot. You know, I don't. I, I don't. Well, I'll just leave it at this. Professor A, great clarinetist, <laughs> made all the students play a certain way and and use a certain type of mouthpiece and a certain clarinet. And then, so he was to teach. He was sharing the professor with with Professor B, and so he was there for like I don't know three four months, say, and then came in Professor B, and he says, "No, you never do it that way." This is the way you do it. So, so close to the end of the year, the students, they were like, they, they had no ground to stand on. And, 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 and they, they went to the administration and said, please just give us, you know, you know, just one person, you know, maybe has more of a universal approach or something. Right. Everyone has a, has a um, you know, so in, in you know, and some of these, these, you know, these different schools of thought, they're like, you know, like gunslingers. And no, you never do it that way. <laughs> the thing is, a lot, of, a lot of different approaches work. It's not, um, who knows, maybe someone will come with another approach. And, 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 you know, in the next few years, that'll be, you know, contrary to everything. But it will make playing, you know, a complete breeze. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, if somebody, somebody uh, that comes along that's a... Uh, incredible virtuoso playing with dimes that everybody would be looking for dimes to play with. Right, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? They'd be digging in their pockets like, I want to sound like this guy. You know, it's just all what you make of it, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's you know, and some of it is just suited to that particular individual. Some of it is more universally suited, you know? And um, so it's, uh, and like with students that try and, you know, I work with them and uh, I would, you know, I pretty much make suggestions or, you know, or maybe some strong suggestions, but, um, you know, they're, they're really, it, you know, I can only sort of guide, guide students like, you know, they really need to um, see what works for them, you know, through their own practicing and playing and trial and error. That, that brings me up to, uh, that, that I had you on before and asked you the 10 minute a day question where something to work on, but I have actually have a specific example. I thought maybe we could uh, round this interview out with if, if you remembered it, I got to meet one of your students, Emma. Um, oh, yeah, Emma's great. 
Yeah. And and she mentioned that when she was taking lessons with you, one of the things that you helped her with was she wasn't producing a lot of volume when she played. And you were able to help her correct that to where she started getting much more volume. And I was wondering if you remember what it was that you helped her work on. Maybe somebody out there might be also suffering from the same problem. One of the things is that I, I encouraged her was um, was to use the wrist and not to lean, not to lean a finger on the on the mandolin. Now that's not to say that that there are people who you know lean their finger on the on the face of the mandolin who you know who can't play loud. And for me, and you know, and a lot of people, it works best if you just play from the wrist. So I encouraged her with that, and I said she can um, use sort of the, the palm of her hand to sort of graze over the bridge if she feels any su- su- needs any sort of guidance or support, so to speak, but not to press it down, just to – everything should be fluid so she can sort of like have it skim over the bridge or behind the bridge or whatever, you know, to um, to help her. So I, 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 I don't know if she was leaning. Maybe she might have been leaning – and I told her to stop that, and, and, and I told her to play really with the wrist. And, um, you know, the um, coming out of bluegrass, I mean, the type of wrist that, that, that we use in bluegrass is, like, say, different from, like, a, a European or classical player would use his wrist. It's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. They would hold the pick a little bit differently, and they use the wrist in, 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 a, in a very different manner. Very different manner, you know. So it's, um, but uh, for the type of music I play, you know, this is, this is what, what really works. And I see that's basically the way Monroe played and the way, it's where I was taught and it's where Jimmy Martin played guitar. And it's, it's you know, it's, um, it works. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know, but if, you know, I mean, a lot of people are not that, that interested in, in, in volume at this, you know, these days. And, and, uh, you know, they go for a more, a slightly more, um, you know, a more mellow tone, like a, a, a subtler tone. Um, and, um, you know, so that, that may not work for them. I don't know. You know, it, it depends what, what you're looking to do. It's always fun to make it, you know, play around with, though, too. It's always fun to sit around and be like, oh, you know, maybe I should just see what it would sound like if I play this way. Again, it all becomes that whole thing of discovery. Like, maybe it, it doesn't work for you and you go back to what you do or something clicks and, you know, sends you off in another direction for a while and, you know, makes you happy. Yeah, listen, it's, it, music is, is like the ocean. It's endless. And, um, <clears throat> you know, there there's... Uh, the physicality of producing music is equally endless and there's just lots of different, different ways to go with it. And, um, you just have to find what works best for you in terms of, um, being able to freely express what you need to express through music. Well, Andy, I'm so glad we got to uh, do this again. This is, it always inspires me talking to you. It's just a blast. So it's great talking with you as well. And when that new album comes out, I'll be sure, um, shoot me a text, um, okay. and I'll be sure to let everybody who listens to the podcast know when it's out so they can go out and get it. I'm excited. I, for one, am really excited to hear it. And I know there's definitely a few listeners as this podcast got more popular. That was one of the questions I'd get emailed every now and again was yeah. when that album with you and, uh, Byron was, uh, that Byron played on was going to be coming out. And, uh, and so now we know it's coming out soon. So this will be great. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like I said, of course, of COVID and everything, things just, things have taken incredibly long. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, so, for sure. But uh, we're we're down to the um, you know, I I should you know in the, in the next few weeks I should be able to give you an actual date as to when it'll, as they say these days, drop. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you let me know when it's going to drop, and I'll yeah. pass the word on as well. <laughs> Well, Andy, man, thank you so much. Good luck at the Opry. I wish I could be there, but everybody who's listening, be sure to uh, be sure to tune in if you can, or if you're in, in the Nashville area, head on over. And uh, I'll try to uh, remember if I can to follow Jake or you on, on on Facebook and see if I can't find the link if you do the live stream Monday to share that as well. Yeah, you know, I'm sure Jake will have it up. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not really, um, you know, super. You know, I have some social media. I was thinking of posting on that, but I mean, I've never. I never get around to it. It's not, you know, it's just, you know. Yeah, I'm the worst at it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really am. I, I, I completely yeah. relate. <laughs> so, you know, but, um, okay. Anyway, listen, it's great. Listen, Java, you know, happy, healthy new year and, uh, you know, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, everything great. And then, um, you know, thank you for, you for what you're doing. It's, it's really, um, it's wonderful to have a, uh, you know, like a discussion like this, you know, for mandolin players. It's great. Thank you so much, Andy. Really great. Truly appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Okay, be well. Thank you. You got. Take care, buddy. Have a great night. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much to Andy for doing the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope everybody has themselves a fantastic weekend. Go out to a band camp and get that Nor'easter album. Follow Jake Eddie on the Instagram. All right, everybody. Cheers. Take care.